This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is a CBC podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Judith John. She was the former vice president of communications at Sick Kids in Toronto, and she had a brain tumor. Let's talk about it. A little, little more, little more gorilla style. I'm really glad you asked me. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself? I mean, we were here talking about like politics and <laughs> and uh, and the state of the world. Uh, but before we get too deep into all of that. <laughs> Uh, why don't you let our listeners know who you are? Okay, my name is Judith John. I worked for many years in healthcare and communications and loved it. I love healthcare because they were the smartest, most dedicated, wonderful colleagues I could have asked for. And unfortunately for me, I was diagnosed with um, a brain tumor. Um, the good news was after the doctor said the brain tumor is inoperable, he did say it was benign. Hmm. Um, but because of that and because of five years of kinds of treatments and trying to figure out what to do, I had to step down from my uh, my position at SickKids. Um, I'd previously been at Mount Sinai. And because of all that, I think I learned a lot about healthcare from both perspectives, from being a healthcare executive to being a patient in a blue gown, the universal symbol of being mm-hmm. um, impotent. <laughs> What did you do in the in the uh, the healthcare world? What like so you you say you worked at SickKids in what in what capacity? I was um, in communications, so I headed up communications for those hospitals. So I have no clinical ability mm-hmm. and no research ability, but I got to work and talk about and deal with issues and learn about all those areas. So um, we have listeners. Uh, a lot of our listeners are Canadian, mm-hmm. and so I'm guessing when when the word SickKids gets dropped, a lot of Canadians can can recognize that that is a um, a pretty like predominant hospital here yeah. in Toronto um, for people who aren't really aware of what sick kids is and what it's all about do you want to just kind of fill them oh, in oh sure sick kids is one of the top 5 children's hospitals in the world and it is a combination of research education and um, unbelievable clinical care. So children from across Canada, from around the world, come to SickKids. Mm. And SickKids develops programs that go to places like Africa or the Caribbean to help with health care as well. They also have uh, one of the most badass commercials I think oh. I've ever yeah. seen in my life. You know what I'm talking about, Tay? I actually haven't seen it yet. You haven't oh, seen it? Oh, did Tori work on that? Tori for, that we did our training with? Uh, tra- maybe in some capacity. I feel like I saw her post something about yeah, that. Yeah, no. I saw something where they, Dude, where they were in... Dude, how you not they seen were in, that? They were all in gowns and... It's um, like it's like like each kid has like their own superpower. Sick kids versus versus yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah, and it's very different from the usual sick kids kind of commercial or any commercial for a, a children's hospital is very emotional, mm. you know, and it tugs on all the heartstrings. This one says, you know what. We're going to beat this, mm-hmm. and don't feel sorry for us because we're winning mm-hmm. and we're empowered. And I mean, there's been a lot of controversy around it, and I think it was a very brave and bold. I do, too. I do too. Yeah, yeah. So, I got goosebumps. Yeah, no, me no too. good idea yeah. doesn't go without controversy. So I like, and the, I think one of the reasons why I felt so so like 
amped up about it is that so I, I live with cystic fibrosis and that's right. that's where this whole podcast you know basically oh, okay. started from was was like sitting down with uh, as the three of us and chatting about my experience in living with CF right and uh, doing work with CF Canada over the years and and talking to them and um, you know sick boy we've done plenty of work with with CF Canada mm-hmm. since we started um, I remember one of the things that I that I felt so strongly about in terms of like the way that CF Canada would promote awareness is they really would like heavily rely on the tugging on the heartstrings mm-hmm. and like really emotional ads of like children like drowning in their own lungs kind of thing. I mean, even just saying that is like, like SPCA type ads. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like Sarah McLaughlin in the background yeah. singing while you're seeing these like, you know, really like sad, sick children. And, and, you know, I'm sure that that, that plays a really big role in, in bringing in funds and, and like, that's one way of doing it. But I, I don't, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the way. Like, I, I don't feel like maybe it was at, at some time, but I feel like we're, we're moving beyond that. I think we're getting into a point in, in time where people see that shit and they go, oh, I can't, I can't, like, I, think I, can't, it also, I can't deal with this. It also strikes me as something that I've seen on TV a thousand times since the time that I remember watching TV. And I feel like when you get, when I'm, I'm sure it worked, like you said, I'm sure it worked because they kept going with they it, do it. and yeah. you probably get comfortable with it as somebody who, as somebody who runs a business and does advertising campaigns, when something works, you tend to really want to stick with it. And mm. it's, it becomes frightening to, to, to move away from it because you know that it works and you don't want it. And it gets harder to take a chance on something new and yeah. to create something that's, you know, a little bit more alternative. Um, but it's very much in line. And I, I have seen some of the ad and I, and I, I remember seeing something around it and something that sick kids did. It's 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 very brave. I think you, you I said think it's brave very and brave, and I think it cut through. I mean, the problem is it's quite predictable in any healthcare situation, in any you know heartwarming charity that that's where you're going to go. And here they said it's more about empowerment. Mm. If you help us, we can empower these kids. I was shocked when I worked at kiss, sick kids. People would say, "Oh, it must be so depressing to be with all those children who are so ill." And in fact, it's very uplifting mm-hmm. because the kids are fantastic. The care is superb, and there is a kind of attitude that together we're going to deal with this. Yeah. And um, I found the kids very, very brave. I know some of the children who were featured in that campaign, and for them, it was a way of saying. Don't feel sorry for us. Encourage us, but don't feel sorry for us. We're going to do this. Mm. We've had uh, we've had similar kind of uh, sentiments thrown our way in terms of people going, "Yo, do you ever do you ever leave the conversations that you guys have on the podcast and think, oh, man, that was hard,' eh, or do leave feeling sad or heavy?" And it's like, no, man, we leave these conversations feeling so light and open because we just got to be vulnerable and share our experiences and do- dive into something that someone might have been wanting to offload for X mm. amount of time, but haven't had like the opportunity or the platform to do so. And when, whenever we leave that, yes, sure. The content might go into a heavy place, but we try to navigate it in a light way and we come out feeling happier and better. But, about but I think that's our, I think that is sick boys kind of like, 
uh, you know, like tone. Like we set yeah. this very like light, like, oh, we're going to talk about terminal cancer. <laughs> you know, or like, you have a chronic condition yeah, that will kill yeah. you in the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so but we approach it that way. And that's and 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 of course, we're going to leave the conversations feeling like that. But the, the, the interesting thing about children and, and children's hospitals is like, you know, kids deal with with trauma, with traumatic, you know, circumstances and 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 sadness and and grief and things like that way differently than yeah. than adults do. You know, you go into a, a, an adult hospital, that's where I feel like it would be really hard not to take work home with you. Whereas you work at a children's hospital, children want to inherently just play, but also, you know, um, and, and have like enjoy their childhood, even though they might be terminal or, or, you know, but when Brandon was talking about our friend, Brandon had, uh, has an osteosarcoma or had an osteosarcoma and he was diagnosed at, uh, 19 or 20 years old. 19, and diagnosed at 18, 18. and I think uh, he had surgery at 19. So he was actually, he was treated in the children's hospital in Halifax it's because um, because it's a, a child a cancer more formally or more commonly found in, in children. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on in his um, journey, I guess, he ended up going and spending time at the adult hospital. And he said the difference between the two is so, so drastically... Um, more, it's like it's way more depressing being at, at the adult hospital. Like the walls aren't colorful; they're just this pale yellow, mm. and it's fluorescent lighting. And it, it's even the environment isn't. And, and to one happiness. of the issues we dealt with at SickKids is the transition from going from a children's hospital, which is mm. so Ugh. warm and enveloping and designed around children, and everybody there who works there self-selects to work with children. Mm. And then going to a much more uh, elaborate or labyrinth of adult health care. It's mm-hmm. a big problem. I, I, I'll never forget when I went from the IWK CF clinic to the QE2 CF clinic. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is my, this is my life now? Like, is, is this actually, I have to go from that to that? Like, isn't it so no interesting? No more face paint? No more face paint? Isn't and, it so interesting that puppets? we get that, 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 that there is such a drastic change? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like all yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden, like, you don't deserve all of these, <laughs> yeah. like, colorful yeah. walls and, like, all of this, <laughs> yeah. like, really nice, like, playful animation everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you walk into the IWK and you've got, <laughs> like, all, like, Disney characters all over the walls <laughs> and everything. And it's, and you're, <clears throat> and then it's just like, no, not anymore. That's for babies. <laughs> you yeah. are now yeah. eighteen. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, big no more, shift. No more goofy. No Ju- more. Judith, I'm I'm interested to um, hear a little bit about uh, your your experience in finding out that you had a, a a brain tumor. How did how did that happen? I I had lucky cancer. So here's the thing: I'm not a hypochondriac, but I'm like a complete tooth maniac. So I had a blister. I kept saying to my dentist, "I think I've got." gum disease. I think I've got this. I've got that. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then finally... Taylor's got a really bad blister right now. Oh, It's not a bad blister, but it's something in my mouth and it won't go away. Uh Well, get it checked. So finally, literally to shut me up, they gave me a biopsy and the dentist called me that afternoon and said, the good news is we can deal with this. The bad news is it's um, basal cell carcinoma. So that usually comes when you're a smoker. It's a skin cancer. It's the most treatable skin cancers you can get. I never smoked. It was just random bad luck. And the good news for me, and there is good news to this, is they took that out and it was fine and they gave me a CT scan after that just to make sure. 
And again, the doctor said, good news is all the cancer's gone. Bad news is you have a tumor uh, in your brain and you better get it checked. So I would not have found out about it until I'd actually had a stroke because the tumor, while not malignant, is wrapped around my carotid arteries and it was pressing on my optic nerve. So I always say I had lucky cancer. People think I'm crazy, but if that hadn't happened, Mm. I would have been... So so wait, you're the, the... The tumor in your brain, the 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 benign tumor in your yeah. brain, caused your caused the the, the skin do, cancer. Nothing to do. with They were the totally cancer. unrelated. Totally unrelated. Whoa! But it was only in checking for the cancer that it was removed. That they said, "Oh, this is good." But look at that! Wow! And, and wow. it's a big it's a big growing tumor. So, the I was actually diagnosed. 20 years ago with that and they took out the tumor at that point through my nose it's called transphrenoidal it's like the ultimate booger (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought of that that it's true and it it came out and when it went and I was sure I was going to die I never heard of this before and you know and I'm busy and there were six weeks between the time I was told I was going to go in for surgery and the surgery was um set and in that time, you know, I was super productive at work. I was working at United Way at the time, and I was fabulous. And I made jokes about, you know, nobody make any things and say it's brainless or, you know. This is <laughs> <Right>. so. <laughs> and then I wrote letters to my kids all night. I cleaned out my drawers so that when my husband's second wife came, she would think I had a lot oh of my stuff, God. but I was really Whoa. neat. I was manic. And then the, I survived the surgery, which was great. And the doctor said we got almost all the tumor out. Was it a risky surgery? Yeah, but not as risky as going in through your brain. Right. It's a new, it's a new technology, and they actually stick stuff up, I guess. Crazy. Um, isn't, it, isn't that fucking wild? Oh, like, it's wild. They're going, there's a thing in your brain, so we're just going to shove some crap up your nose. And pull it out. And pull bit it out. Bit by bit by bit. It was a long surgery. At the end of it, the doctor said we, there was one particle that was embedded in your brain wall. It would be dangerous to try to get it, but really the chances of this growing again are like one in five million. So that's pretty good. That was the lottery I won. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance, and it happened five years later. Get the fuck out of here! Oh no, no, no. The five years later. Oh my god, Judith. The tumor. <laughs> I'm so had sorry. Grown. No, that's all right. I said I would have rather to, you know, a Winteria win, not a Winteria win. <laughs> yeah. So then it had moved to the other side of my brain, and so oh they couldn't go through the nose again, and. At the time, the pituitary surgeon said, we're going to have to take this out eventually. And I said, why don't we plan it now? I'm younger than I'll be tomorrow. I can get my work organized, blah, blah, blah. And he said, we never go into the brain unless we have to. Mm. And we'll know when this needs to be dealt with. So, you know, I was making a presentation at SickKids about budget. I had a massive headache. I was kind of pale green. And I, I would be too if uh, I was talking about budgets. Budget was ugly. Ugly is not like that. <sighs> I'm a word person, not a number person. <laughs> anyway, so I'm making this, and all of a sudden I started seeing double. I couldn't read the chart because I was seeing two levels of numbers. And fortunately for me, I think I got the budget, but because I worked at Sick Kids, the PD, head of pediatrics said something has happened. One of my eyelids had drooped. And he said, I'm taking you down to ophthalmology. So we went down to the eye clinic, and I sat in a chair, and they sort of squeezed my face into the equipment. 
And the the doctor said, this is really exciting. I haven't seen adult eyes in 10 years. (laughs) And there was mass. And it was the tumor had grown and exploded and hemorrhaged in my brain. Whoa. Yeah, so. You, like, literally exploded. Literally exploded, uh, It exploded in size, but it just, it blew up. It blew up. So you're bleeding, hemorrhaged, like, it hemorrhages in, there's, you're now bleeding in your brain. I'm bleeding in my brain. So, go over to Western Hospital. This sounds bad. It's not, it was very bad. And I, I remember my daughter drove me over to the hospital. And we were waiting in Emerge, and they did, you know, they did the MRI, and then we waited. And at about three thirty in the morning, to keep ourselves going, we were writing out names of dogs when we got our next puppy. And for some reason, at three twenty, we were convulsed in laughter over the name Harriet for a dog. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but they came back and said, "We're going to operate and get this out." And so they did what's called a craniotomy when they. They cut your head in a kind of melon shape and peel back the skin and go in and try to get the the tumor. So it was, you know, the next day it was 12-hour surgery. Again, I'm sure I'm gone. I'm thinking I've lived a good life and I have these wonderful kids and, you know, the cupboards aren't as clean this time because I didn't know. Um, I was going to have surgery and they were able, the doctor was fabulous and able to get all the blood, like all the blood clot was removed, Mm. but it couldn't get the tumor. And it is right in the worst part of my brain. So where is it? Like I'm looking at It's right behind my nose and right in the center. So everything is engaged with it. Like, Mm. you know, so if, if you tried to do surgery, I would probably have a stroke. If you tried to do surgery, I could go blind. If you tried to do surgery... It it is a benign tumor, but the issue is how it grows. Right. So, so does it? Will it continue to grow? Like I'm hoping not. Now, what they've done um, for five years, you would have loved me. I wore a patch because I had double vision, mm. and we were waiting to see the growth of the tumor. And and it, Canada's very much a wait and see, first do no harm kind of medical culture. If I'd been in the states, they would have gone in and operated and at great risk. And at great expense. <laughs> Show here. me the money. Yeah. Is that because they're getting paid, like paid to do that? <laughs> I think it's a bit of both. It's a bit. Of, think, I'm sure. It's I a bit think of both. it's a bit of the American mentality, like deal with this, get it out. I can't live with this. Well, I I could live with it, mm-hmm. and I had to learn to live with it. And you know, dealing with you know double vision can kind of be fun. I mean, if I went to the Canada Day fireworks, I just took off my patch, and I saw it was like <laughs> LSD. I saw triple the fireworks. Nice. Or I was at a cottage, and, and we were watching constellations, and I just Judas took just my glasses. Run around the fucking field. Like, like, what's going on? What's mom doing? And then you have a <laughs> she took her glasses, glasses off. Yeah. You have a couple glasses of wine, and then it's even it's more. It's even and, better. Yeah. We were at this cottage, and I took off my glasses, to, my patch to swim, and made everybody laugh because I went on the dock, and I was going up the steps, except I was using the shadow ladder, which wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned to, to live with that, and then eventually the tumor was growing again, and it was going to be dangerous. And so we did six weeks of radiation. Oh, wow. So I had radiation every day at Princess Margaret, and I would sit in the waiting room and realize I don't have cancer. And you'd look at people, and I'm a communications person. I write stories about people all the time. I sit on the subway and imagine what you're really like and what's really happened. And so I had a field day with Mm. all the people getting radiation at at Princess Margaret. Um, And that, now that I've had that, we are hoping it will contain things. Mm, So it wasn't to shrink the tumor. I still have chronic pain. I still have you know, issues that my eyes get tired and, and I can, you know, mm-hmm. get double vision. But 
basically I manage and it's fine. And what was interesting is while I was obsessed by cancer, having sat there six weeks every day, my husband had a lump on his neck and I would say, you should get that checked. You should get that checked. Well, my husband is British and a man and it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. And you know, he says it so elegantly. Yeah, does, yeah. does he have an accent? Yeah, he does a bit. He's, it's he's, nothing he's, he's Welsh, but he's lived here most of his time. So you would you would think maybe he's from South Africa. Right, or nobody, nobody really knows where he's yeah. from. Neither does he. So finally, yeah. I wore him down, and he got it checked, and he was diagnosed with uh, tongue cancer. No oh, shit, oh, instantly. Shit. So we had this cool radiation he's relay. Like the perfect couple. I finished, and he started, and my daughter, who was planning her wedding, said. We'll postpone the wedding. I said, mm. you will not postpone the wedding. And I'm such an A-type. I said, Michael's radiation and chemo will be done on this date. That gives him three weeks. He'll still have a feeding tube, but we can go to the wedding. And she said, you can't even keep food down because I was in the midst of radiation. I said, I'll be able to buy, buy a very skinny mother of the bride dress. There you go. <laughs> before, before you go any further there, like just... Like, for a lot of people that I we've spoken to, and a lot of people that I've known, and I've done a, I've done a lot of work with um, this organization called Athletes for Cancer. I, I spend a lot of time with people with cancer. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to go through. Not at all. It's, it's really really horrible, really tough. Um, there's a lot of like heaviness and a lot of sadness, and and I know that this is all. Most of this is kind of in retrospect, but to hear you sit here and talk about this, it's it sounds like. The experience, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the experience was very it, for you was very um, matter of fact. I wouldn't say matter of fact, but I was deeply grateful all the way through. Okay, I knew we were getting great care, and I know everybody has something to deal with. Yeah. Like I had this gilded life, and I never said, "Gee, why is my career going so well?" or "Why do I have these two fabulous children?" So that when you're when things don't go well, people <coughs> say, "Oh, why me?" Well. Why not you? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So another thing that we I've run into, and it's kind of the opposite of this. It's people who have, like in your case, the good cancer or the cancer that like is just it's it's nowhere near as bad as as like Tom and Jane's yeah. cancer, yeah. Yeah. and they go through this this like weird sort of like guilt. sufferer's guilt. Yes, right yes. where they feel mm-hmm. like well. F- like my what, mom, my like, mom felt that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and it it makes sense to me. It makes sense why someone would feel that. You know what I mean? It's that you, you we all have we all experience things differently. We're all going we all have our own shit, right? Yes. And so but and your shit might make you feel a certain way and and you might come down on yourself for it, but then when you see yourself looking at someone who's way worse off in quotations compared to you, then you feel guilty that you even for a second like were being mopey about your own situation. You know, cancer's like a cloak that you always wear. So every time I'm not feeling great or I have a massive headache, I think, oh my God. Every, you know, it can always come back. It's mm-hmm. always part of your existence. But there was the, and I don't think attitude changes the outcome, but it changes how you get through it. I mean, I get mad when people say, you're strong, you'll get through this, and your attitude's positive. Well, are you saying people who don't get through it, it's because they're stressed? They're not strong. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. not stressed. I hate that. I, and that's, that was something that we dealt with. We, we have a good sense of humor as a family. Like mm-hmm. we were, People were shocked at how 
hilariously funny we were in the midst of this. My, I was going through this, my husband's going through this, and my daughter said, well, you are getting to be high-maintenance parents. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. And it was perfect yeah. because you have to... I, I made a choice when I was first diagnosed. I didn't want to lie on a couch and be one of those Victorian mothers who was poorly. Mm, you right. know? And I couldn't work, but I could volunteer. And I drifted into this patient mm. advocacy stuff quite by accident. And I thought, you know, that makes sense. Because when we were executives sitting around the table developing metrics at SickKids, you know, how many kids come into the emergency and how fast will we see them and how fast will we diagnose them? Will they be back? Blah, blah, blah. You put on the gown. And mm. the, the what really matters as a patient is the metric, treat me like a person. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, treat me wow. like a cool bunch of symptoms yeah, or a file right. name. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, I was waiting for my MRI once at the hospital. And, you know, the administrator comes out and says, brain tumor. And I was shocked. Whoa, that, that's pretty wild. It was wild. And yeah. I thought my name is Judith John, brain tumor. Not even more syllables, not hard to yeah. pronounce. Yeah, but it wow. was you're just diminished all the time. And I fought back. A lot with that when I was being treated because, you know, I have a sense of humor and I speak the language and I know who to call and I know how to respond. Mm. I thought a lot about the people who don't speak the language and are new to Canadian mm. healthcare and don't have access to that. And right. it's like a forest. I'm guessing you never went through that sufferer's guilt. I uh, did. A, I did. A, I, I sure did a bit yeah. with a friend who had. I have a wonderful friend who was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor um, mm. about two years into my treatment, and I would take him to rehab, and his was a, it, he died from it. It was a horrible, he was younger, he had younger kids, and as I was taking him, I said, I feel so bad because I have this tumor, which isn't pleasant and will end my life probably, but I'm not, I... I'm not dying from it. And I said, why did you have to one-up me on this? And, uh, <laughs> but of course you do, because I know how lucky I've been. You know, we've yeah. both been lucky. Yeah. But I, I love that you took on that, that sort of attitude. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to, uh, to, I know we were, we were talking about this before we, before we hit record, or maybe it was in the beginning before we kind of dove into things, about that you are an American transplant to mm-hmm. Canada, originally from Pennsylvania. That's right. And you've renounced your American citizenship for a sole Canadian Canadianity. Um, and you said that you did, did you do, were you saying that you did some research into, into what kind of the, the estimate cost of what your, your care would have been if you would, if you had opted for your U S the U S path of. Because this is something I'm really fascinated in, as I was saying before, is the, the, the differences in the U.S. system of healthcare versus the Canadian well, system. The U.S. system, you can get excellent healthcare, of course. Yeah. If you look at the stats internationally, it's about 11th from the bottom, really, because most people can't get that level of health care. Right. Wow. But I was looking at the cost, the specific cost of if I were to move back to the States, what would it cost me with a pre existing condition mm. to buy insurance? Which is the big like hot hot button uh, oh. buzzword right now in, in American health care. And I renounced before it was the big hot button. I, I renounced when the very flawed but well meaning and good start Obamacare was there. Right. You I gotta mean, start somewhere. You do, and it's appalling that of all the advanced nations in the world, it's only the U.S. that doesn't Mm. give universal health care. It's disgusting, I think. 
And the cost that when I was looking into it, and it was about three, four years ago before this horrible situation in the States now, it was astronomical. And I had to ask myself, is it something that I'll ever do, move back to the States? And, you know, I was only glad in the last election because I was from Pennsylvania and I had renounced by then that Hillary didn't lose by one vote. Because I would have thought it was my vote and I would have felt really sad. (laughs) What uh, what was the number? Do you you have a ballpark? What was the ballpark number? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. But it was thousands and thousands. It was it was. Um, I cannot, I'm sorry, I can't remember, That's but okay. it was enough to make me go, this doesn't make sense. Enough to make you squeezy? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think that no healthcare system is perfect. We we know that. And this, ours is going through some, it's growing pains of its own. But it's part of the Canadian psyche. One of the reasons I'm so proud to be a Canadian is that we are universal in how we want to care for people. I mean, it's, again, not perfect, but... Healthcare is a defining factor in yeah. being Canadian. The thing that I find really interesting about American mentality is that, like, as soon as you cross the border, if you're like, we often drive from Halifax down to like New York, for example, yeah. and we we pass into Maine, and it's almost immediate that you start to see American flags hanging off every porch and doorstep. Oh, it's and, a very different mentality. But they're so they're or so patriotism. I should they're say they're so patriotic. And to me, patriotic is standing up for your fellow countrymen. Yet one of the reasons I I tend to hear for people not wanting to have universal health care is that they don't want to pay for something that isn't benefiting them. Mm. It's free market as well. I mean, the the big free market capitalism is a is a huge aspect of like American culture. And I think that it kind of goes uh, goes back to um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, hold on one sec. It's coming. <laughs> free market <laughs> capitalism goes back to in three. No, no, don't speak. Two. I'm, you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it if you if you talk. Zero. I'll, I'll just make my. I'll, sure. I'll add my. We'll go back up. One that, and <laughs> two. <laughs> okay. Three. So anyway, stop doing that. Uh, but like I, I personally lend myself more towards like a communist mentality where I would just want equal for everyone. You and fucking it, commie. Don't even, yeah. don't even bring that in here. And don't listen, even bring listen, that into this room. Listen, Brian, I, I how dare you in like an ideal world. If it, if it worked, that would be great. And I know from, oh, I got it. from, yes. from, uh, from history historically that, that communism doesn't it work. Doesn't. So I, I understand. I understand. But like that's and the we're ten- learning democracy. You, you, doesn't like, you, you yeah, mean right. communism that's from right. the root word of community? Yes, exactly. You're not, you don't mean communism in the way of in the way of like what, a we, know, what we know historically. Masking yeah, communism. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So so I, like I like to think that it would be great if everybody could have everything equal. But in this in the states, coming from that more um, uh, like patriotic mentality, where we are winners and we are. We are for, we put ourselves first. I would just think that even from that mentality, you would be able to say, yes, we put ourselves first, but we put all of our countrymen first. So our countrymen and countrywomen or country people, we put <laughs> country everybody, people. country folk, <laughs> country, country folk, folk first. So then we should We should offer them up universal health care because we should care for them. Well, I, and so the, I got my train of thought back, which was what you said about the, you know, if you actually look at. Um, where America is in the healthcare uh, on the totem pole, they're actually very close Hello. to the bottom because there is the top of the top of the top of healthcare 
available in quotations. Like in the healthcare debate right now, it's like we're trying to make it more accessible. Everybody has, and this, I think someone made this argument in, uh, in the house when it was going on, is that, well, technically everybody has access to buy a Ferrari, but if they, they yeah, not everybody yeah. has the money to afford the access. Yeah. So access and affordability are two very different things, but in this free market system that really, that really prizes, um, you know, make it on your own, do it yourself, like rags to riches type of idea that, you know, it's there for you. If you're if you've done the work to afford it when you get when you get sick and the irony of the whole thing in the States, we're going to go off track here is it's now the division between those who have and those who haven't, Mm. which changed the election, which made people feel alienated. It's the same thing that happened in Britain. People feel they don't have a chance and they can't Mm. get there. And I don't understand with healthcare that that there's this lack of understanding that if you give people a basic level of care, you'll have a healthier society. You yeah. will have more opportunity. And they understand paying for car insurance. I don't understand why nobody there gets you pay for health insurance. Yeah. Mm. It, I mean, it just goes back to, I mean, I understand. I I. I don't think capitalism is evil and I don't think a free market system mm. is the, is a bad thing. But there are certain things that should just be excluded from that mentality. And I think healthcare is one of them. We should all just be able to be healthy. And I know it's, God, the cost is ridiculous and it's, it's, the cost it's of astronomical. sick people is really high though. So oh my God. I like, I, when I looked at my, when I look at the meds that I take, dude, did you guys, did I tell you guys this about how much yeah. we saw it in the doc? Isn't that crazy? So yeah. a bottle, that bottle right over there of, of Creon enzymes, I go through one bottle every five days I take about seven pills every time I eat a meal. Right. That bottle in the U.S. costs over $500 yeah. for that bottle. Oh. I get, I get boxes flats of them, hordes <laughs> of them every month for free. Yeah. And, and you said it was 10 grand for the box. Yeah, prob- pr- 10 grand for the box so that you Judith, opened up. I, I think that your, your numbers are probably, it probably even more... From the amount Astronomical. of pills that I had. yeah. So, so what were what were your numbers for that you estimated for Kara if you were living in the states? Well, she, she doesn't we remember. Said, we we said, but I, I know, for example, yeah. I mean, I'm a frequent flyer of the healthcare system. I thank everybody. Um, you know, I get two MRIs a year. So, an MRI in the states is I, th- I, I think it's well into the. You know, tens of thousands. Oh my Whoa. God! What? Oh yeah, no, no. It's. I mean, and I was in an emergency department for a couple of weeks ago for a whole different thing, and we estimated it would have been a sixty-five, seventy thousand dollar trip if oh, I'd been in the states man. for all the tests that they gave. So, it it does, and what it does is it changes people's um, ability to say, "I better get this checked out." Mm. And if you get it checked out, sometimes that's the best thing to do, and and you can get it treated then. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. You guys I, ever see John Q? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. With uh, Denzel. Denzel. Yeah. If, anyone, if any, anybody who's listening, if you, and if you haven't seen John Q, it is 
an incredible movie. Basic plot line, John, uh, Denzel Washington's son uh, has like a, a, an abrupt heart failure and he has to get a transplant, but they're like a, a low to middle, middle class family. Yeah. And it's like 250 grand for the, for the transplant and they just don't have it. And the hospital basically says, sorry, you don't have money, so we don't do that. And, and he takes the hospital hostage, not the way to do it. Don't do it that way. <laughs> However, I do. I also do want to just say, I know that we have, uh, a lot of, of American listeners and, uh, by no means are we are we sitting here and like you know just like shitting on your mentality, but it, but it but for three, for four Canadian people, it, we 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 see the world very differently than than the majority of the people that live below us, right? And so it, it's just hard for us to wrap our head around. I'm happy to give some of my income so that looking at this window right now, that woman driving by in that Toyota Camry can go to the hospital and get some tests done and not go house broke. I'm, well, and I'm one of those people that actually says, I believe in taxes. <coughs> like if taxes can make my community safer mm. and better schools and better libraries and better healthcare and better transit, like I will pay it willingly because I'm part of a society. Is that is that why I can get those bottles of pills yeah. for free in Nova Scotia because of the taxes yeah. that Nova Scotia yeah. pays? Dude, that's why anybody, that's why when we go to the emergency room, yeah. that's why when anybody does anything, we don't pay for it because when you Our do when dollars. you get paid every 2 weeks, there's a deduction and mm. that goes towards healthcare and same with everybody in the country. And what I felt all the way through is yes, we were facing these life-threatening situations and that no matter how you gloss over it, no matter how witty and, and optimistic you are, it's frightening. But I wasn't frightened we'd lose our house. Mm. And I think to add the financial burden to right. the emotional burden to the health oh, burden God, I can't is, even imagine. is monstrous. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to come back to uh, your daughter's wedding. Yeah, it <laughs> like was great. The two, the two <laughs> like, like stubborn parents who, who really probably shouldn't be, like the wedding probably should have been postponed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it sounds like it should have been. Um, uh, but you, you said no. We're going through with this. And you went? You, you guys we ended up going? We had the best way. I mean, she had the best way. Yeah. We had the best time. My sisters from the States were just appalled and said, you're crazy. You've got to cancel this. You've got to, you're not well. It was I the said, best wedding. It was, the, it was, the it was a wedding. great wedding. A and my, my wedding. dress was gorgeous, by the way. I don't know if I'll ever wear it again, but it was great. And we had sunshine. And it was a kind of affirmation wedding in every way. Like people who <clears throat> hadn't seen us were sure we would come with wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we were there, and we had a good time. We had a great time, and there was this added level of joy because we'd gotten through being in radiation literally all spring, and um, we were going to be healthy. I mean, my husband still had a feeding tube, um, but he wore a suit, so it didn't show. And um, clearly, there was a long road ahead for him. But, you know, life is full of ups and downs and everything else. But if you can hang on to something joyous and meaningful mm. like that, it was, I'm sure it was a catalyst for us to say, we're going to get through this. Yeah. 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 And, and you know what? Like I totally believe in the power of, of positive thinking and, and like positive experience and, you know, like yeah. laughter being a major form of therapy in my life. Like I'm sure that that wedding just helped drive you and your, in particular your husband. Yep. T like towards that that uh, that healthier life, and it was really fun. Like yeah. she was never bridezilla, you know. Oh, it great. worked out that it was. Isn't and that it the was, worst? 
the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's right. the worst. It's so crazy. And, you know, different cultures and kids running around. It was great. That's sweet. So, yeah. How's your husband doing? He's good. Yeah? He's good. He's, you know, he got very good last scan. Most of his taste buds have come back. It was ironic that he got tongue cancer because he's the cook in the family. <laughs> Food really matters to him. Mm. And in fact, while he was going through chemo and was vile um, and a feeding tube, he would go to bed at night and read cookbooks. And I'd say, you are a masochist. <laughs> oh, my God. It's torture. Weird. It was weird. But I, on the other hand, couldn't look at food as if I never ate again when I was going through treatment. It would be fine. Uh, yeah. I just couldn't. But he, he's cooking again. <clears throat> he's baking again. He's, you know, he's very comfortable with his life. Yeah. Do you guys find that hard when you're, like, starving? And someone's like, oh, let's watch, uh, let's watch this cooking show. I'm always like, absolutely not. I'm, starving? I'm I don't really watch cooking shows Me in general. Neither. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... I, I'm, I'm also, I'm one of those people that, um, in that same, not from chemo cause I haven't gone through it, but when I'm like crazy, crazy full, my mentality is I'd be happy to never eat again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. Isn't it crazy how you can just not be able to think about the future? You think, Wait a minute. You said last <laughs> I said, time yeah, I wasn't yeah, going to eat to this one. Yeah. 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 I know. It, for, for me, yeah, like smells. how many times have you had pancakes? I, I love pancakes. Every time I eat pancakes, when I'm done, I go, I think I'm done. Can you make that pancakes? sound one more time? I think I'm done with pancakes for the rest of my life. should have stopped four pancakes ago. Yeah. Do you know? You had, I watched you eat pancakes about an hour ago. I know. And? I, and? I'm so I'll never full. have them again, and I'll probably have them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't do smells when I'm hungry. Yeah. Smells are what, like, really drives me over the edge. I go crazy. I yeah. want to take my face off. Yeah. <laughs> smells oh. smells oh, are hard, hard when you're going through radiation, chemo, and stuff. Like, everything is... Really assault. pungent, yeah. yeah. What was the recovery like for the the nose, the ultimate booger surgery? That was pretty quick compared yeah. to the yeah the. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. The 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 nose thing was fairly quick. I think it was six weeks or something. The um, craniotomy was a lot more invasive. No doubt. No doubt. And it was interesting because we had been planning a 65th anniversary wedding surprise for my parents in Pennsylvania. And I, it was literally two weeks after I had the surgery, and I was determined to get there. And I remember talking to the doctor and said, I'd like to go to Pennsylvania for this. And he said, oh, okay, when? And I said, two weeks from now. And he said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> and I said, I asked if I was drugged up in the car, and we drove there, and I just took it easy. But I knew if I didn't go, my parents would think I was really deathly ill. Mm. So we did that. And I slept in the car. My, everybody was shocked to see me. I looked as if I'd been in a terrible automobile accident because the whole side of my face was black and blue. My oh, eyes yeah. were sw- It was really ugly. But I was there. And, you know, it turned out to be the best decision of my whole life because my father, who was in his element with all his family there, that was the last he was healthy. He was diagnosed with leukemia literally two months later. And so I always think... I'm glad I forced myself into yeah. that yeah. into that uh, party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. What was it like, or what has it been like? Um, because it sounds like you loved your job at at Sick Kids. I love I'd still be there. They'd have to drag me out. Yeah. So what was that like? Um, kind of being forced out of a, a well, job. Well, they that you were loved? they were fantastic, and they waited a year. I mean, and we thought I would be back, and we thought I would be back, and every test said you can't, you can't. So. It was hard for me. Um, 
But I stayed connected, so I do a lot of writing now for sick kids. I am on committees for sick kids. I worked on a history book for sick kids. So I don't do the formal job job, but I'm um, active there. And I didn't. I mean, that was for me the whole thing. My my husband, who's very relaxed with his life, thinks that I'm crazy because I have all these interesting contracts. And but I like being involved. And um, the patient care stuff is a very. I'm on all kinds of committees for the government about how to improve the patient experience. Because well, you've been in hospitals. Every hospital has a plaque that says we are patient and family centered, mm. and it's rhetoric. Not mm-hmm. reality. Right. And so we have to work on having people understand it's not just the children's hospitals who need to focus on their patients and their families. Mm. So that's been very gratifying. And so I'm involved in sick kids, though I miss it deeply. What have you taken from the work that you've you've done with sick kids? Like you know, it sounds like it's a very a very uh, rewarding experience or very rewarding place to work. What's like the biggest lessons you've taken from? from that that place? Oh, it's a very big question and a very true observation. It, it is a superb environment. Um, I think people who go into healthcare are a special breed. I think that everybody I know had a mission and a vision of helping. And when you're understanding that if you can make your children healthier, the whole world will be healthier. They'll be healthier adults. They'll be more productive. We'll, we'll be better as a society, that's the part of sick kids that I really understood people lived. And you do it child by child, family by family. A friend of mine had a son who was in a serious accident here, and um, his son was 14, and he was at sick kids, and um, he was being treated by the head of surgery at sick kids. So I was, you know, comforting my friend when he was in Emerge, and he said, you know, I had a run-in with the doctor because he was saying to my son Jacob, you know, we're going in to do this surgery. It's possible at the end of it that we'll have to remove some of your toes. I promise we'll do all we can to prevent that happening. But if it does, I also promise you, we'll give you repair so you'll still be able to play soccer and do the things. And the father said, you know, pulled the doctor aside and said, you know what, I really, I don't like you talking to my son like that and you're going to scare him and it's wrong. And and the surgeon who is a friend of mine and brilliant, said, you know what, I'm a parent. I know how sad this is for you and how upsetting and how anxious. He said, but Jacob is my, is my patient. He has to trust that I'm giving him the truth. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't trust me, this isn't going to work. So mm-hmm. I'd like to do what you say because it's easier. He needs to know I'm giving him the, the straight goods. Mm-hmm. And what does it say if he, if, he, if he doesn't give that information and then ends up and then Jacob wakes up with missing toes That's and right. then uh, what does that say for Jacob's trust down the road with doctors right. yeah, exactly and my friend who had you know questioned the doctor about this said at that point I knew what made sick kids so special mm. that in fact it's the child it's the child in that the matters. relationship there yeah. that matters yeah. and I mean it was uplifting in ways and people are hugely hardworking and optimistic and diligent and sure there are things that don't work or, you know, are disappointing. And, um, but you pluck, you just go on because this is the right thing to do and the right way to do it and the right place to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's a privilege to work like that. Yeah. No it kidding. really is. I mean, what a team. Yeah. And hmm. I was, I mean, gosh, if I look back, I was privileged all the way through to work in great places. I worked at the AGO. 
I worked at Harborfront. I worked at United Way. Mm. Now I'm working at the ROM. I mean, I love communications when you have something that you care about. You're looking at all these cool spots in Toronto. Yeah. Cool spots, yeah. Nobody, yeah. The ROM nobody, is so cool. The ROM is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've only ever been once. <laughs> and you I should didn't, go and while I, you're here and see the blue whale. It is. Oh, we should totally yeah, go. Man. We went. In, is it open on Sundays? Oh yeah. Brian and I, Brian and I, and his twin and his twin brother Dennis, uh, we drove to the Olympics when they were in Vancouver from Halifax. Oh my God, how amazing! Oh, so cool. And we stopped and we stopped here for a, a night or two on the way through. I think it was just one night. And um, we woke up in the morning and we went to the ROM and the Royal Ontario Museum the for, Royal for anybody Ontario who uh, Museum. Yes. And it was so cool. That. And that, I feel like that was the transition. I mean, that, that was a very transitional period of my life, anyway. But going from museums are lame to museums are the coolest thing <laughs> yeah, in the world. Yeah. 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 yeah oh, that's, awesome. a, that's a pretty sweet. Uh, you know, when I made that realization, uh, Night at the Museum, it, yeah. my, my favorite movie of all <laughs> you, time. But when Ben Stiller's not there, you get really let down. <laughs> but the, the, the exhibition that's the big exhibition there now with the blue whale is so, it's such a Canadian story. Yeah, you know? no kidding. And, and oh, let's go. It's the biggest thing you'll I, I was stunned when I how, saw it. How much is it to get in? Is it like 15, 15, 15 bucks? Or something yeah, something like that. Like that. Guys, let's fucking go on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. you'll yeah. love it. Sweet. And, and it's got the, the the heart is there, which just arrived. And the heart of the blue I saw whale. Video. I saw the video of them Bringing reeling it, it in, in this yeah. huge oh, box. How big is that? Well, when dude, it's it like bigger than you, man. Yeah, it was. It's as big as a, a mini car. Whoa, dude, it's big. Oh yeah, dude, that's his heart. I know. <laughs> Our heart. How big compared to that heart? I know. It beats so a small. Lot. Like our heart's a fist. Like that's well, your heart, dude. And you think the dinosaur is big, and you think about this is the biggest. It's the biggest thing in the world, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I think it's supposed to be the biggest thing that ever that's it's the ever biggest lived. Biggest mammal that's ever lived, and it's gore. It's amazing. Crazy. Wow. So this isn't wow. supposed to be an ad for that, but don't miss it. It's <laughs> yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah, I'm sure this will actually come uh, out. www.rom.com. <laughs> yeah. This episode uh, Sick Boy was brought to you by the wrong. And, yeah. and if you want to contribute and donate, become a member. <laughs> there you go. No. Uh, Judith, you, you mentioned that you were doing some speaking. Yes. What What are the topics that you're talking about? I mostly talk about the patient experience, and I, I fell into this while I was going through the patch and the treatments. A colleague asked if I'd come and speak at a conference that UHN was having, and it was called The Patient at the Center, and it was the heads of administration, the boards, and the clinical leadership. And, you know, I'm kind of an A-type, and I said it won't all be good, and she said, fine. I wrote out this presentation when I got there, she said, oh, the agenda's changed, and you're the only patient, and you're at the last five minutes of the day. And I got up to speak at the end, and I didn't actually know what I would say because I couldn't deal with my notes. And I said, if I were a cynic, I would say that to have a conference called the patient at the center and have one patient at the last moment when all of you have your iPhones out and are ready to get out of here, I'd say you didn't really care. And I said, but I am not. A cynic. I'm an optimist, and I think I have the last word. And people Ooh. put their stuff down, and they listened. And oh, that's awesome. From that's that, so good. Like that. yeah. And from that, people have asked me to speak about it, and it's it's my way of giving back. I mean, when I had to leave the sick kids, I had to create a new scaffolding for my life. I mean, I never was ambitious to be earning a zillion dollars, but I loved what I did. Mm. And so, when you don't have that. This helped me to stay involved and it helped me to give back to a system that saved my life over and over again. Mm. You know, so I speak with uh, nurses. I spoke to a nursing group this week. I speak at conferences. I speak, uh, I do training with U of T with some of the medical schools. I mean, it's so 
it's a really privileged position to be in because I've been inside. I understand the pressures people in healthcare. I mean, they are dealing with administrative and budgets, and I think, in a way, they have to distance themselves from the emotion of each and every patient and each and every patient family. Mm. And I've often said, you know, if you treat, if you build a relationship, you can actually have a much better partnership. I was waiting for an appointment early on in my life as a patient and uh, walked into the waiting room. And I'm a very patient patient. I know they don't call it a waiting room for nothing. So I've got my book and I'm ready to sit there. But it was you couldn't get a seat. It was so busy. And people had been waiting since 8 o'clock for their appointments. It was 1 o'clock at that point. And I thought, God, if the two administrators just came out and explained to people that there'd been a delay, we're really sorry. I mean, you've been a patient. All you want to do is be acknowledged. Mm. You know, your time's valuable too. Mm -hmm. When I finally got in to see the doctor, it was an eye clinic and it was, you know, you had to read those signs, A, B, C, D, E, F on the the wall. I was sitting there. It was now I'd been there five and a half hours and I was still calm about that. She walked in. She said, read the charge. And she never looked at me. And I said, you know what? We have to start over. And unlike everybody else. You said that? I did. I wasn't yelling oh, at her. I said, I said, we have to start over. We have to build a relationship here. I said, so you tell me your name and I'll tell you my name. I don't want to be your best friend. I don't want to go shopping with you. You don't need to talk about your children. <laughs> but we need to know each other a little bit here. That's so badass. Yeah, and it was because I was very, I was said it in this tone of voice, and she was so nice. And she was so taken aback. I said, I know you've had a horrible pressure cooker day. But don't take it out on me. Yeah. And I think all the way through, I, I was... And then she quit her job that day. She's like, I'm, I'm moving to Cuba. And no, like, she was great. And we, and we had four years of a very good relationship. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. She was great. She said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Because oh, it's not that she was mean or unkind. No. or un- She was not thinking. No. Yeah. And at one point, I was sitting with a doctor, and he was looking at his computer at my brain scans, and they must be pretty damn good because he was really into it. And I finally said to him, you haven't glanced at me. Don't you want to look at the packaging? I mean, it was just, I didn't need to be there. He was just looking at the screen. And those are the things, those are the reminders Mm. that I think you need to get people back to why they get into healthcare and and be a system about people and not about process. Yeah, just Mm -hmm. humanizing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had a we had an amazing conversation uh, recently with a, a a lady named Fiona who is getting into healthcare um, partially because of her experience in in living with Addison's disease. Oh, okay. And uh, she said something that I found to be really powerful towards the end of our conversation. She said, "When I say thank you to my doctor, I'm not saying thank you on behalf of myself. I'm saying Ooh. thank you on behalf of." everyone else in my life who's affected by it and everyone else who has been through it. And I thought that, that was so powerful That's mm-hmm. beautiful. because it's, it's not just, it's not just that one individual who's in the room, who's, who's being impacted by oh, this. And, absolutely. and when she goes into healthcare, that is, is what's carrying her into her practice. And, and I think that your reminder there is, is something really powerful for for those who are in healthcare now and, and mm-hmm. who need to go back to that route and, and remember why. It's a beautiful statement that she's made. And actually, if you think about it, it's everything your parents taught you. You know, mm-hmm. just yeah. treat people the way you would like to be treated. Put yourself in their shoes. And it, it works both ways. Mm. I mean, 
we're horrible to some of our healthcare practitioners because our expectation is they will cure us, they'll have the answer, I'll be out of here, and my life can continue. And they they don't have all the answers. And no. sometimes healthcare is iterative. We'll try this and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll try that. And and so mm-hmm. the and process, who else in your life do you treat like that? Like yeah, no, nobody. You nobody. Not- and and <clears throat> so I think that it's building that relationship where you kind of understand each other and realize that every single interaction actually counts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, okay, I'll be good today and then forget about the niceties of it or the humanity of it or just even look people in the eye or actively listen to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, most MDs, I, uh, there's research that says you can talk for 26 seconds before you'll be interrupted. And it's not because they're mean people, but they're listening to give you an answer. They're actually not listening to hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. They're not looking at your body language because a lot of times that's more expressive than any words that can come out of your mouth. Yeah. And so there's a lot that we can learn just by going back to the basics of why did you go into this? What can we accomplish together? How do we treat each other? You know, Maya Angelou had said it best in a poem years ago. And when I do speak, I use this because I love it. And and she said, you know, at the end of the day, people may not remember what you said. They may not even remember what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Mm. And I so believe that in healthcare. Mm. Um, I had a radiation oncologist who was fantastic, and we'd go in and look at my scans, and he'd show me, and it was all good. And one day, I walked in, and he said, oh, I want to talk to you about something first. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to be good. (laughs) And he said, how's the wedding planning going? Mm -hmm. And it was the most humane thing he could have done for me because it reminded me I'm a person outside of this, you know, environment, Mm. the womb of healthcare, and um, it meant a great deal. So... It was just a kind thing to say, mm-hmm. and and easy, really, easy. like easy to easy to bring up, and yeah, and not costly and not time consuming. You know, yeah. come in and introduce yourself. That's a nice That's thing it. to do. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and I, when I and when I go back to the basics, it's like the three A's. You know, acknowledge the patient, ask what they need, and act on it. You know, I mean, but acknowledgement is a big deal because when you're a patient, you often feel. Well, it was Christopher Hitchens who said, "You feel like a, a cube of sugar being dissolved in a glass." I love mm. Christopher Hitchens. Uh, I do too, and that to me is actually what happens because you feel, "I don't want to be that patient who's too pushy because then they'll treat me differently." I don't want to make a fuss. I don't. I shouldn't. I can't. Well, you should be able to ask mm. the questions, and if you don't understand them, you should be able to say, "I don't understand." I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Help me understand further. And someone should be encouraging you to do that because then the whole healthcare partnership works better. Mm-hmm. So, Judith, what would you say um, your experience with this brain tumor has taken away from you? Well, certainly it took me off a career path that I adored, and I'm one of the lucky ones who d- did adore my career. I appreciate that. Um, it, it, it certainly puts, I, I said it's kind of cloak. Like I'm aware that the radiation in my brain is not a good thing. Mm. And I know that there will, I'm pretty confident there'll be an ugly outcome from that. Um, so I'm not going to be one of those people to say, boy, it's really good that it happened because I now appreciate every day. I always was good at that. Like that was called Pollyanna from the time I was six, <laughs> you know, in a disgusting, like, oh God, she's singing about the morning again. Right? <laughs> um but I think it does sharpen your perceptions of the world. 
you know, and I get impatient with people who have a hangnail and think it's the worst thing that ever happened or that don't understand all that they have. I mean, 99% of the world would look at the way we live in Canada and could say, oh, my God, what a blessing. Mm. And we're just, we can be so negative. And I, um, so I think it's taught me a lot about that. And also a sense that there are going to be good days, there are going to be bad days. I have headaches almost all the time. And sometimes I can push them back better than others. But it's not the burden that's going to define me. And I think Mm. once you let your health define you, that's 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 limiting. Well, my second question was going to be, what has it given you? But I, I think you you kind of summed it up there. Yeah. No, I felt I felt uh, disconnected in a way I hadn't anticipated. I think. I mean, I'm old enough to have thought about retirement. I'm 66. I should have been thinking that this happened when I was 60. So, but I hadn't thought of that. And and so when you can plan for it, it's a different experience to say, I want to leave work and I want to do this. I didn't want to leave work and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I've been fortunate to be able to build something that's a nice fabric of interesting opportunities and meeting good people and, and sharing whatever experience I have that might be helpful. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in here today oh. and sharing your experience. Yeah, thank you. And I haven't even burdened you with the pictures of my new grandson. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see them after. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, I think you might be you might be the oldest guests we've had on the show i know which is like we know which is amazing it's so refreshing because we we oftentimes are sitting down with people kind of similar to our age or younger and we it's not so it's you know we live in in our guests are generally people who listen to podcasts and who are who are frequenting like that sort of you know, it's the 20, 20, like one to 35 year old range really. And so, and and, you know, my parents wouldn't have known what a podcast was until I told them I'm making a podcast and now I had to teach them how to do it. And so remember uh, they taught you to use a fork. That's right. That's right. No, totally. Absolutely. (laughs) Patient, patient. That is, uh, um, but, but so we don't really get the opportunity to speak to, to people that are, that are a bit older than us. And it's, it's really nice. Well, I remember when I turned 65 and someone said, Oh my God, you must be so depressed. I said, are you kidding? I made it. That's what I say. Holy cow. I can't wait to turn 30. I'm like, I am, I cannot wait. I just want to say, Jeremy told us, told Taylor and I before he, he saw a picture of you and he said, I think Judith is 45. Oh, I love you more. (laughs) (laughs) When you said 60. I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> no, I look in the mirror and say, who is that woman? I'm glad she's there, I guess. <laughs> he said, "He said I, she's a little bit older than us. I think she's about 45. Oh, uh, my God. Put the, keep that I, in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't edit that out. Uh, again, thank you so much. My it, pleasure. Yeah, and yeah. thank you for asking me. It's yeah, fun. It was really fun. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as always, <clears throat> next week we'll be back with another fascinating, fun episode. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes, uh, subscribe, rate, and review. It's super massively important. We say it every single episode, but like it really does make a huge difference. Because so, if it didn't, we wouldn't say it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we're also, uh, be sure to follow us. Uh, you know, if everybody who listened to us was also following us on social media, like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, uh, you'd all love us cool. more. You'd, you'd all love us you'd more. All, all of you would be able to see all of the cool shit that we're posting on and there. And super, super silly. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> last and final thing I want to add into that is, is that if you're like driving in a car somewhere, you're doing some mundane task while you're listening to this, the next interaction you have with a human being, just tell them about Sick Boy Podcast. Hey, there you go. Well, yeah, exactly. One, it's like a pay it forward type deal. Yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, going over to uh, www 
You don't have to do www. That's not a thing anymore. Who does that? Patreon.com slash sick boy. Uh, that's a little crowdfunding thing that we do. It's like, uh, it's kind of like Kickstarter, except it's, uh, it's a, a monthly thing. So you sign up to do um, X amount of a contribution each and every month. And we do a lot of cool, exclusive content. Um, all of our live shows uh, go up on there. So they're yeah, first exclusive. First dibs on tickets. First dibs on tickets to live shows. Uh, you get a discount, 10% discount on all of our merch. Uh, so go over on to sickboy.com, go to the uh, sickboypodcast.com and go to the shop page of our website. we got tons of merch over there. Uh, yeah, the other thing is that on our Patreon is that we're doing really well on there. And and everyone who's supported us so far, we thank you so much. And our conversation with Judith today wouldn't have happened. Brought to you by it, Patreon. It literally is brought to you by our, our supporters. Um, uh, it's what gives us the ability to fly to Toronto and talk to really rad people. So... Uh, thank you all so much for that. I think that's it for today. Yeah. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.